The theme of this morning is compassion as an aspect of emptiness. With all of this focus on practice with reflection on letting go, thinning out, insubstantiality, not self, it raises a a very real and sincere question, well, what's left? Is this kind of a vacancy? Are we talking about some kind of voidness in all of this talk about emptiness? But as I said, I think in one of my first talks, that the essence of the Buddha's teachings is suffering and the end of suffering. We always need to relate all of his teachings and our practices in that light. And to see that not suffering does not equal Oh, blankness, some kind of nothingness in a negative sense. Not suffering is actually happiness. It's actually the highest form of happiness. When the mind isn't constricted, when it's not pushed and pulled by fears and wants and hopes and, and losses, it's actually in a state of great ease and contentment. The Buddha was actually known as the happy one, another term for the Buddha, the happy one. There are many stories in the suttas of people visiting the monasteries and just saying, basically, what's going on here? Why are these people so happy? You know, and talking about the monks and nuns being radiant, um, smiling, beautiful, kind. So we start to see that when the mind when we start to lose our self-involvement, our self-obsession, the natural expression is more outward connection. It's just a, a kind of obvious and natural movement because in the, the losing of the self-obsession, we're more open, we're more curious, we're more available uh, and present for others and all aspects of experience in the world. And you probably know this, this um, teaching, this quote, that our whole path, or in, even enlightenment, depends on developing these two wings of wisdom and compassion. And that just like the wings of the bird, both are necessary. You can't have one without the other. I actually just read recently that Ajahn Amaro says, in the body of the bird is mindfulness that that's what's there as the kind of engine that drives or allows the wings, these wings of wisdom and compassion to fly. And you start to see the links between these two of wisdom and compassion, how they flow into and feed each other, and that one is a natural expression of the other, that compassion is a natural expression of wisdom, because wisdom knows suffering. But It's able to stay present, to stay clear and connected. And so the knowing of suffering with this clarity, this responsiveness that Guy talked about, naturally it's compassion. When the mind isn't occluded by the visiting clouds, the defilements, it's just naturally this expression is there. And it was there from the very beginning in the Buddha's teachings. We've already uh, used that quote where the Buddha decided to teach. Um, He thought that no one would understand, but out of compassion he decided to teach. 
And I think we've already referred to this quote 62. The compassion quotes are on page 19. Um, about how he told the monks and nuns who'd become enlightened to go and teach the many out of the wealth, the multitude, out of compassion for the world. There was this sense of, of um, sharing this gift of Dhamma, sharing this highest gift of Dhamma out of compassion. And so he dedicated his life to alleviating suffering. For 45 years, all kinds of situations to all kinds of people he taught to alleviate suffering. He shared his wisdom and the practices that he developed out of compassion to alleviate suffering. So it's very much rooted there at the heart of our tradition and our practice, this, this opening in the opening to suffering, the natural expression of compassion, of caring. So we describe compassion as this quivering of the heart in response to suffering. I like that definition because it's so physical. Compassion is a very physical expression. You can feel it. You know it. And we all know this quality. It's not something that we have to create. We just have to let it manifest. We've all been touched by compassion when we've been suffering and friends and family have been there with kindness and care. And we've all offered compassion. This is something that we know. But as we look more closely at this expression of compassion as we deepen in our own practice and understanding, we just see so clearly that we can be more compassionate. We can actually be more help when there's some degree of clarity, when there's some degree of equanimity, when there's some degree of balance in our Uh, being, because that's what actually allows us to move into the compassion in a way that's um, beneficial, just like we explored in the meditation. And so mindfulness, this ability to track our experience, know what's happening, to notice the contraction, to notice the judging or the stories, and actually let that go, let the wisdom come in that moves into the compassion in a balanced way. So meditation, mindfulness, is a great support for this deepening of compassion because of this um, deepening, developing of the balance, of the steadiness of mind, of the, the ability to be with changing experiences in this steady way. This is what's so helpful. Guy mentioned yesterday this hopefully uplifting news of Aung San Suu Kyi's release. I'm sure you all know of her. She's, I mean, such a beautiful person. She's been in various forms of house arrest or prison for more than 12 years, I think. She's a Dharma practitioner. She's a Buddhist from Burma. Her, her father was assassinated. While she was in, under house arrest, her husband became ill with cancer. The junta said she could go home at any time. They lived in England, actually. Her husband's English. They'd spent a lot of time in England. She could leave at any time, but she knew if she left, she could never come back. She chose not to leave. Her husband died. She has two young sons. At that time, they were teenagers. They're probably young men by now. She knew they were alone and dealing with this. She knew that her people were suffering. Even in her isolation, she would get news. She knew about 
the, the, the monks' revolution of a couple of years ago. You probably felt the sense of possibility in that. And then the despair as the hunter came in and just trampled, trampled that expression of wanting freedom. How has her heart stayed open? How has she managed to come out of this imprisonment and say, I don't bear any ill will to my imprisoners, the junta? How is that possible? She says herself it's her Dharma practice. If she was in there going, oh no, poor me, you know, poor, you know what, what should I do? How can I bear this? Anyone would be overwhelmed with that set of circumstances and suffering. You know, even though I can't say for sure, I have no communication with her, but I know this is her, her understanding of the truth of things, of emptiness, and the compassionate nature of the radiant mind enabled her to be who she is and stay steady. I mean, I've just seen a few photos of her. She's radiant. She, she doesn't look like she's aged at all. She's beautiful. And yet you know what she's been through. This is the union of compassion and emptiness that's allowed her to find this strength, this strength to be with everything that she's been with. She's just one human being, one example. You know, millions of examples of people enduring all kinds of suffering and finding within themselves this ability to step out of their self-concern and really, you know, act and be. They're just their very being in the world improves the world. In the text, they talk about compassion being exalted, immeasurable. And this is what I get a sense when I think of Aung San Suu Kyi. And yet when we hear those words, exalted, immeasurable, and we think, me? You know, how can my compassion be exalted or immeasurable? Well, your compassion can't, but compassion can. So what that's pointing to is when we get out of the way, when we in our limited sense of our capacities gets out of the way, because we all think we have far less capacity than we actually have. We think our possibilities, our, our um, ability to perform in the world, to be an agent for change or for growth or for love, we tend to limit ourselves so much through this comparing that Gil was talking about last night, through this sense of diminishment. We think we'll be overwhelmed, so we turn away. We can't face that. Don't tell me about that. I don't want to know. And we think we can't bear it. But emptiness shows us that we can far more than we ever can conceive possible. Because in whatever way you conceive, as the Buddha says, it is ever other than that. So if we think about compassion, if we think we should be compassionate, if we have some idea about it, that's limiting. We can't conceive. Compassion is immeasurable. So it's really about this understanding of the selfless nature of this compassionate activity. And it said that empathy is what allows compassion. 
Empathy requires us to let go of this self-obsession and move into connection, to feel with others, to feel as others are feeling. If we're too much in the way, we're not going to be able to do that. Pema Chodron says, true compassion does not come from wanting those less fortunate than us. I must have missed some. Does not come from wanting to help those less fortunate than ourselves, but from realizing our kinship with all beings. So it's not, oh, me helping you. It's like, oh, we're together in this. And then compassion is naturally there. I think like Jim was saying, just not that sense of separation. My compassion, your compassion, I'm compassionate for you. It's just compassion. And so in all of the Brahma-viharas, they all can become transcendent, to use that word, where there's no one sending metta or receiving metta or compassion. There's just compassion, compassioning, if that's a word or a verb. And we can start to see that very clearly. Hopefully you've touched into it a little this week as the mind quietens down as we start to see the actual nature of experience, what's the flavor of that? What's the flavor of the mind that's relatively clear and quiet? It has a kind of kindness to it. In its acceptance of what is, there's a kindness that's right there in the mindfulness, in the peace. There's a receptivity There's a tenderness. These are all qualities, different synonyms for compassion, for connecting. And so this receptive, tender mind, when it contacts suffering, naturally just responds with compassion. It's just the way it is, with kindness and concern. One of the transitions, I think, that happens in meditation as we open to our own suffering is that first time we're able able to just say, oh, honey, this is really tough. You're suffering here. I I learned this. I learned this from Sylvia. She's so, Sylvia Boston, she's so great. She just said, oh, this is really hard. Like, oh, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, buck up, we'll get through this. You know, let's sit a little straighter and breathe a little harder. It's like, oh, this is really tough. And it doesn't mean we collapse. In that acceptance, there's an actual moving towards or a moving into what's difficult. And emptiness also means that there's room. There's room for the situation. There's room for the other person. There's space. If we're so full of ourselves, so solid, so impenetrable, what can come in? What can, what can make an impact? Or if we're judging ourselves or evaluating, you know, what's the right response? What should I say? What are they expecting of me? What, what's the right thing to do? You know, how much? How big? How little? You know, or all of the different judgings I pointed to in the meditation oh, if they, you know, didn't do that, they wouldn't suffer so much. Or if if I was a little, you know, less fearful, I wouldn't be suffering so much. That's just the mind getting in the way. Or if we get angry about suffering, you know, it shouldn't be this way. The injustice, 
Yes, there are many things that are wrong in the world on this relative level. But anger just burns us out. It's why, you know, activists, if they just rely on anger to try to right the wrongs of the world, there is a compassion there, but they'll just burn out. You can't, you can't continue just on anger. So compassion needs space. Compassion needs emptiness. And I very carefully put Gill's piece on emptiness in my somewhere, and it's not with me. But you remember that Gill read a piece from a chaplaincy training program, I think. Beautiful piece talking about how do we do this. And I have a terrible memory, but it said something like the way we help isn't by kind of, you know, jumping into things, it's by making a kind, empty space that can hold the story, the situation, the person. And that's our practice, this kind, empty space. This is what we do with compassion. I don't know if you've seen uh, going around the Internet. I actually don't know when it's from, but there's a little video of the Dalai Lama giving a teaching. He's teaching in Tibetan, so he's speaking to Tibetans. And he's rattling along, you don't know what he's... Oh, maybe there's a translation at the bottom. That's right, there is a translation, because he's talking about bodhicitta, which is this expression of compassion, the mind that's uh, caring about the welfare of all beings. And he loves bodhicitta. And so he's teaching and teaching, is up on his throne, you know, very grand. And then all of a sudden he just drops his head, takes his glasses off, holds his head, and he starts weeping. He just starts weeping. And your heart goes out. It's like, oh, what's happening? What's going on? You, see, you don't see the audience. I imagine there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And he's just sitting there. He's just said the words about how beautiful it is to develop bodhicitta. And he starts to weep. And then, you know, a number of seconds go by. 30 seconds, a minute. He looks up. He wipes his glasses, puts his glasses on, and he picks up right where he left off. Mm-hmm. I would think I'd have to go, I'm sorry, you know, I was just thinking about and I was overwhelmed and this is what was happening. And we were wanting to, what was happening? What was happening was he was touched, he was moved. And then he came right back and, and continued and that was the real teaching. I mean, the teaching was so much that he just wept out of his love of bodhicitta. I mean, in front of thousands of people without any seeming sense of inhibition. But then the, he then just wiped his glasses, put them on, and continued, almost without missing a beat. It was just such, such a teaching. This is compassion with wisdom with equanimity. He was touched, you know, just like Canon. I have a Canon printer. I love that it's Kuan Yin. Just as the Bodhi, Bodhisattva of compassion, she hears, you know, the 10,000 cries of joy and sorrow. She hears them, and there's all of this sense of responsiveness, hands and eyes everywhere. But she stays in balance. I talked a little in the meditation about how some of our movement to fix the suffering so we won't have to feel it. 
feel the pain. The natural movement of compassion is to help. I don't want to downplay that. But it's just that slight distortion when it's because we don't want to feel. Let's make this right. Let's get rid of this, you know. If only you did that in your relationship or your situation, you know, you'd be able to get out of this. So it's just staying present for this. And Guy talked yesterday about the empty nature of mind, this Buddha nature. I, my, the way I like to view it is, as he talked about, is this potential that's there in all of us when it's not obscured, when there's this wisdom that knows the truth, knows suffering and knows the end of suffering, knows the insubstantial nature of things, then we get to see or experience this empty, radiant mind and can really see for ourselves, not in some, you know, when I hear this sometimes it seems so, you know, that's a Buddha, you know, the empty, radiant mind. It's not my mind. But we've touched those places when the mind has quietened down and we've seen how the mind does respond even if it's within our own experience, but certainly as we walk outside and we see the animals here on the land and just feel the fragility of their life <clears throat> and how they're taking care of themselves. You know, they don't have homes in the way we do or a paycheck or food served three times a day. Yet, there's, so there's this fragility and the heart just goes out, doesn't it? To feel that for them. So we see this, we see this potential, how the compassion, when, when we get out of the way, and hopefully that meditation pointed a little, what it's like when we get out of the way and just feel with. And then we see what happens when the I steps in, I should, they should, why is this? But we recognize that, we're not fooled by that. And our ability to stay present to be here with the suffering, with the person. It's the greatest gift we can give, isn't it? To sit with someone, to be with someone while they're suffering and not wish the suffering away in a sense of, you know, awkwardness around it. Of course, we want to alleviate suffering. But just to be present and say, this is so hard. How can I help? What can I do? This is, the, this is the direction our mind and heart goes. As the obstacles lessen, we've talked different ways about that happened. Gil talked about this thinning out in that Chula Shunyata Sutta. As the disturbances lessen, someone used the great image, it's like, what was it, taffy or something. No, oh no, pizza dough. <laughs> you stretch it and the holes start coming, you know. All of these images, this is what happens. But in the thinning out, the emptying out, it's not an emptiness in the negative sense. There's actually this responsiveness that's possible. There's a fullness. I mean, this has been a very full emptiness retreat, hasn't it? I know I feel that. This is, 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 it's not a voidness. It's funny how we use these words. I'm trying to find ones that we don't use positively. Not a vacancy. There's actually a fullness there that's alive and responsive, and it's tender. And it includes ourselves in the compassion. And that's also really important. 
You know, often we think of compassion going out. How do we hold ourselves with compassion? You know, this crazy mind, this aching body, this family situation. The more we can open to the compassion for ourselves, the more possibility there is that it can extend in a really true and beautiful way towards others. Again, going back to um, the study guide, there are these two beautiful quotes from Dhammapala, who was a, a commentator and forget what, actually there's a few people I think who were Dharmapala, but sometime after the Buddha's time, wrote this beautiful treatise on the Paramis and really talks about this in the Bodhicitta. It doesn't leave ourselves out as we come to more opening. Uh, we can bring others along. And so the thought comes to the bodhisattva, the person who's practicing with the welfare and concern for others, crossed, that means crossed the stream, entered into uh, freedom. I would cross others. Freed, I would free others. Tamed, I would tame others. Calmed, I would calm others. Comforted, comforted, I would comfort others. Attaining to Nibbana, I would lead others to Nibbana. Purified, I would purify others. Enlightened, I would enlighten others. This sense of togetherness in this. It's not self-sacrifice. You know, I need to sacrifice on the altar of other people's happiness. We, as we awaken, this aspiration naturally comes to bring others along with us. Through wisdom, the bodhisattva brings herself across the stream of becoming. Through compassion, she leads others across. Through wisdom, the bodhisattva understands the suffering of others. Through compassion, she strives to alleviate their suffering. Through wisdom, she has become disenchanted with suffering. That's that word nibida again. Through compassion, she accepts suffering. Through wisdom, she aspires for nibbana. Through compassion, she remains in the round of existence. Through compassion, she enters samsara. Through wisdom, she does not delight in it. Through wisdom, she destroys all attachments. But because her wisdom is accompanied by compassion, the bodhisattva never desists from activities that benefits others. Through compassion, the bodhisattva shakes with sympathy for all. But because compassion is accompanied by wisdom, her mind is unattached. Through wisdom, she is free from eye-making and my-making. Through compassion, she is free from lethargy and depression. The whole path is there, with compassion as a central aspect, as an expression of the wisdom that knows the truth of things, knows suffering and the end of suffering. So again, can seem beautiful and inspiring. And we are right where we are. Life is difficult. There's challenges and our heart will contract and we'll be irritable and grumpy again and again. I mean, this is just the nature of our human condition. And yet, and yet, and yet. We know how to bring ourselves back 
into balance. We know the path offers this pointing to this, this, this offering of wisdom and compassion. And we, we, we tread the path one step at a time. It's all we can do. So I actually forgot to say I wanted to change our schedule a little bit because this afternoon we're going to move into more transitioning out of the retreat and actually do the exercise this morning. So this is all I wanted to say about compassion. I'm going to do um, another dyad, exploring compassion, hopefully have some time for questions. So we'll actually practice with compassion this morning. And I want to do another repeating question, two questions. The first question is, tell me what blocks your compassion. Tell me what blocks your compassion. And in a repeating question, you say the question literally as you've given it. You don't change it. But as you receive it, you know, you can interpret it, you know, my compassion or compassion right now or compassion in a certain situation. And then the second question is, what is it like to feel compassionate right now? In these exercises, it really is a practice your practice is to stay fully embodied as you respond or hear the answers to these questions. So you stay in your body, you stay present, you use all of the things I've talked about already to keep in balance. You use your breath, your awareness, your mindfulness, in touch with the movements of the heart, how it contracts, how it opens, and especially for this exercise, really important that you include present moment responses. So someone says, what block, tell me what blocks your compassion. And you see, right now I feel my heart closing down. I just can't open to this. I feel so overwhelmed. And there's a tightness in my heart and uh, and my belly feels kind of heavy. It's just a heaviness right now. Then, thank you. Tell me what blocks your compassion. Just having noticed that, I find I can breathe a little more easily. There's a sense of perhaps some openness coming. Not quite compassion yet, but some, some tenderness. Thank you. What blocks your compassion? And then the one where it's about what's right now. It really is, you know, kind of a, a koan or a. You know, you can't, you know, you have to make, you can't make compassion happen, but it's an exploration. What happens as you lean into compassion? You actually invoke compassion. And, and, and maybe it doesn't come. I don't know what it's like to feel compassionate right now. I don't feel compassionate right now. Be really honest as you respond. And for the listener, your practice is silent, still compassion. Just really receptive, receiving, letting go of the judge, letting go of agenda, and just being present. You also stay in touch with what's happening for you. So really to have it as a practice. Is there a question?
Definitely. And, you know, sometimes we can talk in this, you could say, transcendent way, you know, I said just compassion, compassioning, but we're not often not in that place, but we know that place. And so I'm talking here, you have to be really honest and authentic in the relative place where you are right now. I'm feeling, I, we're asking you, tell me what you feel. So, yes, definitely let the I come up, but just see what happens. You know, we can use these terms, I, me, and mine, and not be attached to them, you know, that's my husband, (laughs) actually. I am a little attached. It's okay, you know, but we see when it causes suffering. It's it's really that. It's not to get artificial. If I don't use the I word, it means I'm not attached, you know. We we do what's practical, what's relevant to the, suitable for the situation. Okay, so we'll do seven minutes each. I'll time you. So let's stay in silence as much as possible while you find your partner and just sit with each other, knowing what, you know, just sort of sensing into this field of compassion. So looking around, maybe someone new, but someone you'd like to work with for this exercise. Look around. If you don't have a partner, put your hand up. Anyone still need a partner? Anyone still need a partner? Um, Marianne and, sorry, what's, look, Kathleen? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.